We finally come to the last chapter in 1 Corinthians, and those that maybe are visiting with us today, we've been studying through the book of 1 Corinthians for many, many weeks now. Finally, we reach the 16th chapter. And today we're going to talk about an area of worship that really doesn't thrill most people. We're going to talk about giving. And I promise you that I didn't pick this message today to correspond with the stock market crash or anything to do with $7 billion bailouts or anything like that. As most of you know, the messages are planned several weeks in advance, so I had no idea any of those events were going to happen. But I do want to talk to you today about giving. And there are some people who complain about churches, and they say all they ever do at that church there, all they ever talk about is money. It's true, we do take up an offering in our church every week, but I don't do very much preaching about money. Uh, I don't often take the entire sermon time to devote that to our giving to the Lord. I may mention it several times in other messages as we're preaching throughout the year, but how many of you actually remember the last time that I took the entire sermon time to preach a message about giving? Paige remembers. (laughs) Okay, well, you know, I actually had to go back and look it up to see when the last time was that I preached a message about giving the entire sermon, and that was three years ago. And if anything, that would be failure on my part because our giving is worship to the Lord. Now, I'm not going to promise you today, as many preachers do when they get up to speak, that if you'll just bring your money to the church, if you'll just give to the Lord, I promise you're going to be wealth, wealthy. God wants you to have a brand new car to drive. He's not happy with Christians who live in poverty. You'll be so much healthier if you'll just come and bring your money. I'm not going to tell you any of those things today. But I am going to talk to you about giving, because giving is a part of our worship. And every time that the offering plate is passed in Brian Baptist Church, that's an opportunity for people to worship the Lord. I heard the story once about a preacher who was taking a cross-country flight from uh, New York to San Francisco. And they developed engine trouble on that flight. And at 35,000 feet, that's a bad time to develop engine trouble. So the, the pilot was frantically trying to get the, the engine going again, and he was really worried about this. Uh, the stewardess, or flight attendants, they call them now, uh, she came into the, up there to the cockpit, and she was talking to the pilot, and she said, wow, what are we going to do? And she said, you know something? There's a preacher back there, and uh, let's go ask him if he can do something. So the pilot said, yes, yeah, go, go do that. Ask the preacher if he can do something. So they went back there to, to talk to the preacher, and... Uh, they asked him, uh, the, the, the flight attendant said, the pilot wants to know if you could do something religious. And he said, yes, I can. And so he stood up and he said, let's take up an offering. And, and sometimes that is the way that we look at our giving. It's just a religious thing that we do. We drop a few bucks into the offering plate because we're conditioned to do that. And we really don't understand that giving is a part of our worship. It's a great opportunity that we have to express our obedience and also our faith in Christ. Giving is an act of worship. Today we're going to talk about giving here from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And we're going to discuss some some proper principles for giving. If you have your Bible, if you'd open them again, turn please uh, and, and let's stand as we read God's Word. We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verses 1 through 4. And we'll see what the Apostle Paul has to say about giving. Now concerning the collection for the saints, 
I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever shall ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reading of your word today. We're so thankful for all who come out to hear the message from God's word. I just ask you, Lord, you'd open up our hearts to receive your truths today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I really didn't have any idea that we would have so many visitors with us in our services today. I, I thought that I would be speaking mostly to members of Berean Baptist Church. And so some of you may think, well, I got caught at a really bad time to go to church today because the preacher's going to talk about giving. And I do want to talk about principles for giving this morning. But before we start there, I really want us to, to back up just a minute. And I want to talk about this, this swift transition that the Apostle Paul makes between chapters 15 and 16. When we finished up last week in chapter 15, we were, we were just ended that note, uh, our message on a high note. We were talking about the glorious second coming of Jesus Christ. We've been speaking throughout that chapter about the resurrection of Christ. And as we thought about the second coming and the victory that will be ours and the final triumph over death, that all of us are secured by our faith in Christ, that really leaves us in a great emotional high as we finish chapter 15. So that's an awesome subject. And if we were in charge of writing the book of 1 Corinthians, probably what we would do, we would end it right there at chapter number 15. Uh, let's just leave this book with everybody on a high. We're talking about the second coming of Christ. So let's just all go out in the parking lot and let's look for Jesus to come back. And let's just end it right there. But the Apostle Paul didn't do that. He comes here to chapter number 16. He loves to speak about lofty things and about the excitement that Jesus is coming back to the earth. But he also knows that he needs to bring this church right back down to consider something as mundane as believers that are having trouble in a far-off land who need others' help. And so Paul begins to talk about giving. He brings the church back to some very practical matters, and so he has more instruction for the church at Corinth to hear. So he begins chapter 16 with instructions about giving. And he says, now concerning the collection for the saints. And then he starts laying out all these important principles about how we're to give. So today I want to talk to you about seven very important directives concerning our giving. Number one that we need to consider today is the place for giving. And I think that's a good question to ask. What is the place for giving? And I think I need to point that out because there are many people who are very confused about what do you do with, with the money that belongs to the Lord? Where are you supposed to take it? What are you supposed to do with that? And if you're used to watching television and watching the religious channels, I promise you that if you turn to one of the religious channels, that three minutes before you're into that broadcast, they're going to tell you, you need to send your money here. What you need to do is that you need to plant a seed of faith. Send in your money. Plant a seed of faith. And the place for you to send it is right there at the bottom of your screen. 
Rarely, if ever, have I heard a TV preacher say that the place that you are to take your tithes and your offerings are to the church that you belong to. That the place for you to give what God or give back to God what he's given you, the place to go is to the church, and that's where you're to give your offerings. And I want to tell you today that the storehouse for God's offerings is the church. That's where we're supposed to bring the tithe and offering. Now, we notice here that, that Paul talks about a storehouse, and we can't, uh, we can't really miss the connection that he's trying to make here because he's using language that comes from the Old Testament. He says, let every one of you lay by him in store. And I want you to notice that word store because it takes us back to a principle that we find in the Old Testament. In the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse number 10, God says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, and there shall not be room enough to receive it. Back in the Old Testament times, the storehouse was the temple. That was the place that God said you're to bring tithes and offerings. Now, they started out with a tabernacle. When Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, they built a tabernacle, and that was the place uh, that they would bring the offerings. And that was a, a tabernacle was like a tent, and they moved that from place to place as they went through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. But then years after they got into the promised land, they built a permanent place of worship, and that was the temple. And the temple was the place where God says, you are to bring your offerings. Then when we get in the New Testament, we find Jesus uh, watching people as they come and placing their money. They're obeying the law as they put their money into the temple treasury. And there was a time when Jesus used that as an example uh, to teach a lesson about giving. But here we find the Apostle Paul is showing us that the church, now the church today, is the place for our tithes and offerings. Well, how do we get that out out of these verses? Well, we notice here that the people are told to gather up their offerings and to bring them on the first day of the week. Sunday was the day that Christians met together for worship, and so they would bring their offerings together, and then they would bring them to the church, and those offerings would be distributed as they were needed. So let's don't get confused about this, where God wants your money to go. There's not a TV ministry, there's not a TV preacher, there's not any ministry outside of the local church that you belong to that has the right, that has the authority to receive and to spend the offerings of God's people. So never bypass the church and think that you're doing the right thing or that you're worshiping God correctly by giving your money to some other type of ministry because the tithes and offerings are to be brought into the storehouse and that's God's local church. So the local church, that's the place that God has given for the preaching of the gospel, and this is where the gospel is to be supported and where God's program for the world goes out. Now, the second thing that we would note about this in our directives for giving is the purpose for giving. And we see here in this passage that Paul is talking about a particular purpose for their giving, and in this case, it was the support for poor Christians in Jerusalem. What Paul had done was to organize an offering out of several churches. That's why he says the the churches of Galatia have been directed to do this. And he says, even as I gave them direction and the authority for giving an offering, I'm giving it to you as well. So they had the same instructions. Why is Paul so worried, worried about Christians in Jerusalem? Why send an offering to those people? 
I mean, there are many places throughout the Roman Empire where there were churches and uh, churches had been established. There were many poor Christians that were out there. So why does Paul say, well, we need to take up an offering for poor Christians that are in Jerusalem? Well, I think, first of all, that we would have to consider the debt of gratitude owed to Jewish Christians. Jerusalem was the holy city of God. That was the place where uh, uh, Christ came to to the world. He came to Bethlehem, very near to the city of Jerusalem. He came to the Jewish people. He came to Israel. His ministry was among Jewish people. When he chose out the first ones who were to be the, 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 his church and to be the members of his church, he called out the 12 apostles, and they were all Jewish men. When Jesus met with the disciples at the last Passover, and that's what we know as the Lord's Supper today, when he met with them, he gave them the authority to go out and to preach his word. They're the ones that were to give the gospel to others, and they were to spread out after Jesus left and preach that word to all nations that were around them. And the disciples began that job. They started in Jerusalem, and after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and after the day of Pentecost, thousands of people in Jerusalem were saved. But one of the things that they didn't do was they didn't spread out as they were told to do. Instead, they sat there in Jerusalem, and they witnessed to the people that were there. And so God's plan wasn't being fulfilled. So what God did was to send persecution on them, and God caused them to be scattered. And so, disciples and others, these ones that had been one to the Lord, they began to scatter out into different areas, and then they began to preach the gospel to Gentiles. And the Gentiles learned that the gospel was for them as well. Well, though they did spread out, one thing was very necessary, and that was that there still remain a church in Jerusalem. There has to be somebody to reach the people that are still there. And so there were some of these Christians who stayed in Jerusalem throughout the persecution. They were very sorely persecuted, but they were the base. They were the church. They were the home church, you might say. And so that church had to stay there. Well, through that persecution, the Jewish Christians lost their homes. They lost their jobs. They couldn't go to the Jewish synagogues because the Jews weren't going to help them in any of their efforts for the poor. And so they're left destitute. And that's why Paul says, let's remember those Christians. They have a true need. Let's remember the contribution that they've made to the gospel of Christ. Let's take some money down to them and let's help them. So they were giving their money with a purpose. Paul was trying to produce some solidarity between Jews and Gentiles. Let's help somebody else with this offering. And that's something that we need to consider. Something you ought to consider when you give your offerings. Do you ever just drop your money into the offering plate and you really don't think about where that money goes? And you don't think about what what activities take place because of that money? Where does your money go when you put it into the church? Obviously, a lot of the money goes to operate this facility. A lot of your money goes for the administration of what we do right here in this locality. We have a ministry that we carry on at Brian Baptist Church, and so we have to maintain this particular place because... Quite frankly, Roner Park needs a church that teaches the Bible. And so we, we've got to stay here and we've got to carry out the ministry God has given us right here in this place. And so the work that we do here, the work of the ministry is just as valid among this small group of people that we have here. It's just as valid for a church that's 10 times our size. It's as valid for a church that's 100 times our size. Because we need the preaching of the gospel right here in our locality. And the proportion of the work that we do for the Lord, this doesn't go unnoticed by Christ. 
We please him when we bring our tithes and offerings and we work right here in our local ministry. So some of your money stays right here. It goes to to operate this very church that we're in today. Recently, though, we just added more support for missionaries. We just added some more support to Baptist churches in Kenya. And Baptist churches that are there that we're supporting, they're helping orphans. They're feeding and they're clothing young children that don't have parents and and they'll never hear the gospel of Christ. So some of your money goes to other places. It goes to places like Kenya where we can help people that that are really hurting there. Some of your money goes into the jungles of Brazil. And there, uh, some of those places can only be reached by river travel. There aren't any roads. And there are people that live way back in the jungles who've never heard the gospel of Christ. They've never heard about Jesus. And so some of your money goes there in, in order to support the missionary that we have in Brazil. Some of your money goes into the country of India. And there we've been helping lepers that, that, that under a terrible disease. And we've been, we, we actually helped to buy, a part of our money went to buy goat herds in order to, to feed hungry lepers. And we also at one time gave a large offering to help with building a well for people in India that had no fresh water to drink. Well, we do those things because that's a means also of bringing them the gospel of Christ. And so while we sit right here in comfort, there are missionaries that are in far-off places where people don't have the luxuries that we have, people that will never hear about Jesus Christ. And your money goes to help those people learn to know about Jesus. And so when you give your money, consider with compassion who that money is going to help. So you have a part of the ministry of this church. Do you know it's very likely that the person sitting next to you, that person who may be a believer in Jesus Christ today, might never have come to know Jesus unless there were people in some other church, in some other place, that they brought their money, they brought their tithes and offerings, and someone was able to bring them the gospel of Christ. And so Paul tells the Corinthians, we have a purpose in this. Somebody needs us. Somebody needs our help. So let's give. Let's give liberally. Bring your tithes and offerings. Bring them to the right place and bring them for the right purpose. Now, the third thing that Paul talks about here is the punctuality of giving. When are you to give? And the best answer I could give you for that is to give it right on time. When should we give? Well, verse number two answers the question. He says, upon the first day of the week. Now, we have to tie that then to that that great resurrection chapter that we have, chapter number 15. When was it that Christ was raised from the dead? Jesus was raised on the first day of the week. I mean, the very reason that we come to church, that we meet here on a Sunday, that's because Jesus arose from the dead on a Sunday. And so we meet here for that purpose. So Sunday was the day of worship. We don't come to church on Saturday because Jesus didn't arise from the dead. That's not our main day of worship. We keep that as Sunday because it commemorates the resurrection. Recently, I was driving down a a Stony Point Road, not far from where we live, and there's a church there that has a sign that says, come and worship at 6 o'clock on Saturday night, and it says, it's the new Sunday. Sometimes I'm just tempted to go over there with with a marker, and right underneath that sign, please give me chapter and verse for that. That Saturday is the new Sunday. Saturday's not the new Sunday. See, you you can worship God any day of the week if you like. Go to church every night of the week if you want to do that. 
but also make sure that you go on Sunday because Sunday's the Lord's day. That's the day that Jesus arose from the dead. So making Saturday, Saturday night, the day of worship, is really nothing than a religion of convenience. Let's worship God on, our, on the best time that's for us. I mean, let's come and let's have church when it's convenient for us. I find it's very hard to argue with the New Testament and these kinds of directives. When Paul says, bring your money together on the first day of the week, there's an indication there that this is tied to the Lord's resurrection. It's a celebration, it's a worship of when Jesus arose from the dead. So what you can't do, you can't separate out this thing and and, and disconnect it from the cardinal doctrines of the Word of God. The Bible calls Sunday the Lord's Day. Now, let me go back to the punctuality. Giving is to be consistent. You need to give on a consistent basis. Now, I realize that most people today uh, aren't paid every week. I mean, you don't get a weekly paycheck. Most people don't anymore. Today, to make more convenient, they, they pay twice uh, every two weeks. They may pay twice a month. Sometimes people get paid once a month. It really doesn't matter when you get paid. You need to bring that money on the first day of the week. Now, I I don't like to be legalistic, but there's something that I do. I get paid by the church twice each month, but I like to bring something each week. And so I divide that up, and I bring something each week. But whatever your method is, make sure that you're punctual about it and that you're consistent about it. Some of you might want to ask yourself a question right now. When was the last time that I actually gave something to the Lord? When was the last time that I brought an offering into God's church? And some people will say, well, you know, when the Holy Spirit leads me, then I'll be ready to give. When he tells me it's time to give, I'm going to follow the Holy Spirit and I'm going to give my offerings. Some of you have been wandering aimlessly for years without Holy Spirit direction because you don't bring in your offering. Well, you see, you don't wait for the leadership of the Holy Spirit to give because this is something that's already commanded. You don't have to wait for leadership of that. God says to do it. You don't wait for leadership of the Holy Spirit to say, well, I think I'll go to church on Sunday if the Spirit tells me I'm supposed to. No, we've already got that in the Word of God. We're supposed to come to church. And you don't say, well, when the Holy Spirit leads me, then I'll pick up my Bible and I'll begin to read it. You don't do that because that's already commanded in the Word of God. So you don't have to wait for special leadership of the Holy Spirit to tell you when to give. And most people who think like that, if the Holy Spirit came up to them and hit them right in the face what they're supposed to do, they wouldn't know it was the Holy Spirit. They're not used to following the Holy Spirit's direction anyway. This is already commanded. Giving is an act of obedience. So be punctual about it. Give it at the right time. Well, there's a set time to give, but there's also, number four, there is a person for giving. Who is it that's supposed to give? And look at verse number 2 again. He says, let every one of you. Some people think that they have an exemption certificate for giving. I haven't seen one of those, but I'll tell you, if you came and showed me an exemption certificate for giving, I wouldn't want one. I wouldn't want one because I consider, consider giving to be a privilege. It's, it's a wonderful opportunity to worship the Lord. And do you know there are, there are people in our church that when we tell them there's a special offering that we need to take, there's a special need that we have, would you be willing to contribute something to that special offering? And there are people in our church that say, yes, I will. I'm honored. 
I'm privileged to have a part of that. And, they, and they'll give, their, they'll give their, their offering to that. Well, who is supposed to give? Well, I would say children are supposed to give. Children, if you only, not too many children here today, but if you only have a nickel to give, you ought to give it. If you're a young person, a teenager, and you've only got a dollar to give, you ought to give that. If you're an adult and all you have is $10,000 to give, please give that. We appreciate it. But I want you to turn your Bibles now to the book of Mark for just a minute, if you would. The book of Mark. And we're going to look here in chapter 12. In Mark chapter 12. I, I referenced this story just a minute ago when I was talking about Jesus being at the temple treasury. He was watching people that were putting in their money. We're going to notice something here that's very important. A reference about who is supposed to give. This is Mark chapter 12. And let's start at verse number 41. And Jesus sat over against the treasury. Now, that's at the temple. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. That's just like a couple of pennies. And he called unto him his disciples and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast in more, hath cast more in than they all which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she ever want did cast in all that she had, even all of her living. Now, do you see that in verse number 44? You have this poor widow. She has only what we would say two pennies to her name, and she brought that money into the temple treasury. Now, the amazing thing about that is that Jesus knew exactly what she had. He knew exactly what she gave. Now, why didn't Jesus run over her to her and say, Oh, oh, no, now stop, stop, stop. Dear sweet lady, you're a widow. You don't have very much money. You don't need to put your money into the temple treasury. I know your heart. I know your attitude. I know how you feel about things. And it's really not necessary for you to give anything in the treasury. Do you think if anybody should have an exemption from giving, that it would be this poor widow who had nothing to her name? If you were going to give an exemption for giving, that's the person that you would give it to. But Jesus didn't stop. He didn't stop her. He didn't say, don't put your money in. But he did commend her for giving her money. And that tells us that giving is not just for rich people. Giving is not just for middle class people. Giving is also for poor people. Now, nobody has an exemption from worshiping the Lord. Giving is worship. And so nobody would have an exemption from that. Now, we think about this. Well, well, is this fair? Is it fair that this lady was, was supposed to give an offering? Well, first, it's not a matter of fairness. It's a matter of obedience. It's an act of worship. But you know something? Jesus, or God, actually did give us the fairest system possible in our giving. And that's what I want to talk about fifthly. And that's the proportion of giving. How much are we supposed to give? Now, Paul's answering a lot of questions in the text. Where are you supposed to give? Why are you to give? When should you give? Who should give? And now he talks here about how much that you should give. And we find this in verse 2 as well. It says, as God hath prospered him. That tells us that giving is proportional. I don't have time to go into all the text today, all the proof text of it. But I do want to tell you that I do believe that tithing is a New Testament doctrine. I believe the Bible teaches that we are to give a tithe. Tithe simply means 10%. We're to give 10% of, of, of our of our incomes to the Lord. 
Now, the tithe is actually something that transcends the law of Moses. Abraham knew before Moses ever came that he was supposed to give a tithe. Then tithing was incorporated into the law that was given by Moses. And then when we come into the New Testament, we find, just as we read a moment ago, that Jesus watched people put their tithes into the treasury, and Jesus also commended the Pharisees. Now, they did a lot of evil things and bad things, but one thing he did was to commend them for giving their tithes. He never said, stop giving the tithe. The tithe is proportional, and that's what makes it fair. So it's not the dollar amount that you give, it's the proportion that you give. That's the important thing. So the dollar amount is not the significant issue. All of us are giving on an equal percentage. So the most unfair thing that we could do is for me to say, well, we're going to take up an offering today, and I want everybody, every single person, every member of the church, I want you to put in $100 for this offering. Some of you drop $100 in a restaurant like that, and it doesn't mean anything at all to you. Some of you are on fixed incomes. And if you gave $100, that would be a big sacrifice. That's a lot of money to you. So there's a difference here based upon the proportions. We don't ask everybody to give the same amount. Now, before everybody gets real excited about that, I do want you to understand that tithing is just the starting point for your giving. The tithe is in proportion to the way that God has, or the portion of what you made, and that's for everybody. But our giving is in proportion to the way that God blesses us. So he says here, as God hath prospered him. And that means if God has prospered you with more, then what you ought to do is give more. Tithing is just the starting point. And so you see, it's, not, it's often not so important about what you've given to God. It's actually what you have left over. What do you do with what you have left over? And the amount that you have left over tells how much that God has blessed you and how much more you should actually give. Now, let's take some examples. Let's suppose, and we do have people that are like this, people that are on fixed incomes. You get a Social Security check, and I don't know what that is. I'm obviously not old enough for Social Security. But you get a Social Security check, and and let's say it's $2,000. Your tithe on $2,000 is $200. So how much do you have left? You have $1,800. How many of you here can live comfortably on $1,800 in Sonoma County? I'm talking about $1,800 a month. How many of you could live comfortably on that? That would be very difficult. But let's, let's change this, and, and let's put it in proportion to what many, many people do make, and there are people in the church who make this amount of money. Let's suppose that you have a monthly income of $10,000. Now, what's your, what's your tithe check? So how much money do you have left? $9,000. So could you stick your thumbs in your vest then and say, hey, I gave $1,000 to the church. Gave $1,000. But according to the Bible, you've actually done far less than the person who made $2,000 and gave $200 because it's what you have left. That tells how much you really worship God. So the person who makes $2,000 and gives $200 then gives, let's say, a little bit of an offering besides that. That's the person who's really made the sacrifice. The person who has the $9,000 left over usually takes that money and spends it all on himself and has really made no sacrifice at all. And this is exactly why Jesus said, For all they did cast in of their abundance, 
but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all of her living. And so when Paul says, as God hath prospered, he means if you make more, then you ought to give more. If you've been prospered more, then you ought to give more to God. And so if you've been blessed with much, then God's only pleased. God is not pleased, I should say, if you give only your tithe. Now that brings us to the next instruction. Number six is the plan for giving. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Now, first of all, I noticed things got eerily silent when I talked about how much you're supposed to give. Things really get silent here when I talk about that. But let's talk about the plan. And that is there ought to be a real plan of savings in your giving. And that means that giving's not supposed to come behind everything else that you do. Now, too often... Our giving is based upon the leftovers. Maybe you do give the tithe. And so when you give the tithe, you say, here's my tithe, I'm giving that to the Lord. But you have no plan for that money that's left over. Well, God says we ought to have a plan in that. We ought to say, well, here's my tithe, and then here's my plan for giving this other amount to the Lord. Now, what we usually do is we spend and we spend and we spend. We take up all of that money, and then if there's a little bit left, then that goes back to the Lord's work, and, that, and that's our little bit of offering. So we get everything that we want, and then we give God what's left over. And usually what we have left over is not very much. And so that person then who has $9,000 of income that's left over, that would tell us that that person actually has a lot of wants that he's taking care of. A lot of wants that he's taken care of and not actually the needs. And so God doesn't see any of that. Well, I think Paul's telling us that we need to be more organized than that. Here's what we can do. We can plan for vehicles. We set our vehicles up on on payment plans and we pay that every month. We plan for vacations. We save up for that and we make sure we get the vacation money uh, all together. We plan for education. Some of you have college funds for your kids and that's a wonderful thing. You ought to do it. Uh, Some will plan for all their recreation. But when it comes to the amount that we're going to give to God, we have no plan at all. It's just whatever gets left over. So you see here, it's great to talk about the resurrection. And it's great to talk about the second coming and get all excited. And I told you last week, you need to plan for the second coming of Christ. But I want to tell you today, let's come back down to earth a little bit. And let's start planning for what we give to God. And let's start getting a little bit excited about that. So Paul leaves heavenly thoughts in chapter 15, and he brings us down to earthly thoughts in chapter number 16. And why does he do it? Because most of us very severely need this. So finally then, Paul gets even more practical. And let's talk about this seventh one quickly. Lastly, he speaks of the protection for giving. Look at verses 3 and 4. And when I come... Whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, then will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that, that I go also, they shall go with me. That means if necessary, then I'll go with them or they'll go with me. What, well, Paul was very careful about the Lord's money. He didn't want any chance of impropriety. And so Paul does not say, gather up all of your offering, give it to me, and I'll take care of it. Can you imagine what would have happened or what people would have thought if something happened to that money while Paul was taking it to Jerusalem? I mean, even if something legitimate happened, even if Paul got robbed and that was a legitimate thing, 
there would be people who say, well, the, the, Paul, he's a shifty fellow. What he actually did was he hid that money. He's got it stashed away somewhere. So Paul would be discredited. So what he does then, he sets up a method for handling the money. He leaves it to the church to appoint honest men and to appoint men of responsibility, approved men. And then he says, they'll take the offering to Jerusalem, and if necessary, then I'll go with them if that needs to be done. But Paul didn't say, bring all that money to me. Folks, if there's anything that we have a responsibility to do, it's to handle God's money correctly. Let's go back to the TV preachers once again. How many exposés have you seen on TV about shady church finances and about TV ministries? You've seen a lot of those, haven't you? There are people that gave their money to those ministries. They had no idea that their money was going to corporate jets. They had no idea the money's going out there for mansions and for huge cars and for diamond rings. And folks, some of them are so brazen, they don't even try to hide that. Because they're preaching that health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that says, you ought to be rich. So give the money to me. I'll be rich. And I promise you, if you'll give enough, you'll be rich too. This is why. This is the exact reason why. That when money comes into Berean Baptist Church, every single dollar is tracked. We have a budget. We have a finance committee. We have a financial secretary. We have a treasurer. A report is given to the people in the congregation every single month. At the end of the year, all accounts are reconciled by auditors. And every or any member of Berean Baptist Church is allowed to ask any time, where is the money going? Where is the money of Berean Baptist Church being spent? And even further than that, I don't even have access to any bank accounts of the church. I don't write checks. I can't do that. And the reason that I don't is because I think a minister who controls the money is setting himself up for temptation. He sets himself up for false accusations and for irreparable harm to be done to the cause of Jesus Christ. We're not going to do that. If there's anything that would cause harm to, the, to Jesus Christ and the ministry here, there is no amount of money that will cause us to do that. So we're very careful about finances. Now, why do I tell you all these things? And why is it Paul gives instructions? I want to tell you why. Because the money that comes in comes to God's work. It belongs to the Lord. It's his money. We have a blessed privilege to have a part in God's word and God's work. We have a privilege to be a part of the worship of God. And so every time that an offering plate goes by, it's an opportunity for worship. And there's no one who is exempt from giving to the church because no one is exempt from worshiping the Lord. This is one of the ways that we worship God in spirit and in truth. So who's responsible for what we do here? All of us are responsible. Now I'm speaking primarily to members of Berean Baptist Church. All of us are responsible for this. We share and we share alike. And when we faithfully bring in our tithes and offerings to the Lord, we share in the blessings and all of us lay up treasure in heaven. Now, I want to close the message with this thought. The title of my message today is Give As You Were Given. I've been talking a lot about what you should give, what you should give to God, but I haven't said very much about what God has given you. So let me take just a moment to talk about that. There are many, many scriptures that come to my mind when I think about what God has given to us, but I want to leave you with this one. In Romans chapter 8, verse number 32, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, 
how shall he not also freely give us all things? Here's your last point, is that God did not spare his son. God did not spare his own son. When he was ready to give, he didn't look through heaven to see what was expendable. He didn't look through heaven and say, well, I'm going to find something here that really doesn't cost me anything. No, what God did was to give his own son. And what God gave was the very best that God could offer. It's the gift of his son. And so Paul tells us in that verse in Romans chapter 8, if God was willing to do that for you, if God was willing to give his very best, is God going to withhold any other thing from you? And certainly he won't. So if you're going to give as you were given, what is it that you can hold back from God? What you'll do is you'll bring your tithes and offerings. You'll bring your love and your devotion. You'll bring your obedience to God. And in short, I can say, you will bring you. And then what you'll do is you'll say, God, take my life and let it be always only all for thee. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to say, God, you've given all to me. And now I want to give myself to you. By the way, folks, the next time the offering plate is passed, give as you were given. God was willing to give to you. Give as God has prospered you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful time we've had to spend together. And even though giving is not a subject that many people like to hear, it's one that we need to hear, and it's one that will really rejoice our hearts if we have the right attitudes when we think about how much you've given to us. Help us to take the opportunity to give back to you. As we sing this invitation hymn, let us think of the words of it. Jesus paid it all. Jesus gave it all. And so what are we willing to give to you? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.